Good morning. My name is John Best. I'm one of the pastors here at Willingdon Church. And we are nearing the end of a series called Amplify, turning up the volume on the gospel. And for the last several weeks, we've been focusing on some key words that all start with E that reflect the core of how we want to function as a church. You can see the banners in the lobby. You can't miss them. Pastor Mark Jansen started us off with the word exalt, encountering God as we lift high the name of Jesus. And then the next word is evangelize, reaching people with the good news of Jesus in word and action. Engage, connecting with the family of Jesus for authentic relationships. And last week, Pastor Ray talked about the word equip, growing gifted disciples of Jesus to be kingdom servants. And this week, the word is empower, empower, sending equipped servants to follow their calling, both locally and globally. So five E's, exalt, evangelize, engage, equip, empower. That's how we want to function as a church. Before we dive in deeper, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and to learn. I pray that your spirit would be speaking to us as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your Bibles, please open them to John chapter 20. If you're using the the Bibles that are here, it's page 907. John chapter 20 is where I'll be reading from, starting in verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19, page 907. On the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Well, these disciples have had a crazy week. Sometimes we say we've had a crazy week, but these disciples have had a really crazy week. Their emotions have been all over the place. There was the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and was celebrated by many as king or even the coming Messiah. This was a joyful, hopeful moment. Then there was the moment when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was humbling and a little confusing for the disciples. Then Jesus got arrested, beaten, tried. That was distressing, scary. Then the disciples fled, denied that they were connected with Jesus in any way. That was a moment of blindness and fear and shame. Then Jesus was killed. That was surprising and dreadful and sad and scary. 
Then there was the Sabbath, right after Jesus died. I can only imagine that this day was filled with dismay and hopelessness. And that brings us to today in this text, Sunday. Earlier today, Mary Magdalene and Peter and John had witnessed that the tomb was empty. And Mary had encountered Jesus alive. Can you imagine the emotions in that moment? Confusion, wonder, hope. What's going on here? And so it's not a huge surprise that we find the disciples locked in a room, huddled together. They're confused. They're scared that the Jewish authorities will come after them. They're seeking comfort by just being with each other. They have glimmers of hope and lots of questions. And then Jesus shows up alive, standing right there among them, bearing the wounds that had been inflicted on him as he was crucified. This encounter with the living Jesus would change the way the disciples view everything. And it should for us too. So that's the story. That's the setting. Let's have a look together at this text and pull out some key thoughts. On John chapter 20, verse 19, it says this. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. So here's the first point in this text, and the most important point in the history of the world. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Just a couple of days before, these disciples witnessed Jesus being executed. It was awful. They were traumatized by the death of their Lord and scared that they would be next in line. But now, even though their doors are locked, Jesus shows up. Alive. He's not an angel, not a vision of some sort, but he is most definitely alive. And it's definitely Jesus. He shows them his hands and his side, wounds that he bore for the disciples and for us. If you were at Willingdon on Easter Sunday, you heard Pastor Ray talk about the huge amount of supporting evidence that there is for the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, what does it mean? Jesus has not only paid for our sins through his death, Jesus has also defeated death. It's one thing to acknowledge that Jesus died. It's a whole other thing to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It means that he has conquered death. He has won the victory over sin and death. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then further on in 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, death is swallowed up in victory. 
Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus is alive. And now we can live with hope. We're no longer bound by sin and death. We can live knowing that we are forgiven, that we have the promise of eternity in God's presence. And as we'll see more closely in a few minutes, we are empowered by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We sang a song here last week that captured this this really well. I'm going to sing a little bit of it for you because I sang it last night. I wasn't going to, but they liked it. So here we go. (laughs) Just the first line goes like, Amen, amen, I'm alive, I'm alive because he lives. You know that one? It keeps going. Amen, amen, let my song join the one that never ends. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, every fear is gone. I know he holds my life, my future in his hands. Jesus is alive, and this changes everything. Back to John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Well, here's the second main point in this text. Jesus offers true peace. Jesus offers true peace. When he shows up in the room with the disciples, he says, peace be with you. He says it twice. Now, peace be with you is actually a common Jewish greeting and still is today. It's kind of like a Canadian saying, hi, how's it going? Basic greeting. But here, when Jesus says it this time, It means way more than just a simple hello. Peace be with you. The word peace here is shalom. You may have heard that word before. And peace is an accurate translation of the term shalom. But shalom actually implies much more than simply a lack of conflict or a lack of stress, ways that we would define peacefulness. Shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. The Old Testament prophets used this word shalom as a word to describe the best of God's blessings. Shalom is the best of God's blessings. Here's an Old Testament passage that highlights this word. Isaiah 9, chapter 6, or Isaiah 9, verse 6 and following. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that's Shalom. Of the increase of his government and of peace, Shalom, there will be no end. It's talking about Jesus. And when Jesus says, peace be with you to his disciples, this peace, this Shalom, is his gift to his followers because of his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We can have peace with God now. Because of what Jesus did, this is the best of God's blessings. John 16, verse 33 was one statement Jesus made that points towards this peace, this shalom. He says this, I've said these things to you 
that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this peace, this foundational knowledge that we have been reconciled to God and that our Savior has risen from the dead, this peace should really affect how we live. No more fear. No more striving to earn our salvation. Instead, let's live saying thank you to God a lot. Let's love like we've been loved by him. Let's serve like we were called to serve. And let's rejoice. There was a, there's a phrase in here that made me chuckle this week. It's verse 20. It says this, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I read that word glad and thought to myself, glad? That doesn't seem nearly a strong enough emotion. I'm glad when there's not a lot of traffic on the highway or when I get to go out for coffee with a friend. But here, the risen Savior has shown up. He's alive. He's in their midst unexpectedly, and they are astonished. They should be more than glad. So I looked into the word glad a little bit in both Greek and English. In Greek, it's ekaresin. In English, it's glad. (laughs) Turns out that the synonyms for glad in English are more filled with emotion than I expected. Pleased, happy, delighted, thrilled, overjoyed, elated, gleeful. Those are words that mean similar things to glad. And in Greek, ekaresin can also be translated rejoiced. And there's a root connection to the word charis in Greek, which means grace. And so when this word is used, there's a sense of rejoicing in God's grace. Well, if that's what glad means, then I'm glad they were glad. And we should be glad too. Jesus has shown up alive and has proclaimed peace. And our response should be to rejoice. Now what? We've been forgiven. We've been given foundational peace. But it's not just for ourselves. It's also for others. Here's the next main point I see in this text. God chooses to accomplish his mission by using us. God chooses to accomplish his mission by using us. Verse 21, it says this, As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. This is John's version of the Great Commission. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Our job as disciples of Jesus is to represent Jesus here on earth. We are his ambassadors, his representatives, his agents of reconciliation. We reflect his glory because his spirit is within us. We're called to serve others with all the love and power and grace and truth that Jesus has imparted to us. And the end goal is this, that God will be worshipped. Our mission in life has nothing to do with achieving glory for ourselves and everything to do with achieving glory for God. As early as as Genesis in the Bible, we see God's intent to bless the nations through his people and to have people from every people group worship him. Genesis 12, one to three, it's called the Abrahamic covenant. It says this, now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so that's a glimpse of God's heart early in the Old Testament. And then if you flip to the end of the Bible, God's heart is there too. Revelation 7, 9 is a great verse that exhibits God's heart that everyone, that people from every nation and tribe and tongue would worship him. It says this, after this I looked and behold a great number, great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. God's desire is that people from every people group will worship him. And he chooses to use us to accomplish that mission. This is probably a good time to bring in the last verse in this section. It's a bit of a confusing one. John 20 verse 23, it says this, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Well, my first dozen readings of this verse left me kind of looking with a blank stare. What in the world does this mean? Here's what I'd like to offer related to this text. It's the main point that I'm pulling out right now. God chooses to accomplish his mission by using us. The salvation of others, let me be very clear, is not dependent on us. Salvation and complete forgiveness of sins is what God has offered through the death and resurrection of Jesus. At the same time, we need to be aware of the very high calling that we have been invited to. Something very precious has been given to us. God in his sovereignty has chosen to use us. Unreached people hear about Jesus through his messengers. We're given the mandate and authority to live and proclaim the gospel. And when we don't proclaim it, the lives of others are directly impacted. God chooses to fulfill his mission by using us. That's amazing. And now we hit the theme word for the day, empower. Here's the next point. The Holy Spirit empowers us for God's mission. The Holy Spirit empowers us for God's mission. John 20 verse 22 says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We're empowered to serve. Our desire as a church here at Willingdon is to give you opportunities to serve, to bless you as you take steps of faith and obedience. We want to help you live lives that are purposeful, lives lived on mission. So we want to be an empowering church. But when it comes right down to it, the core of empowerment doesn't come from us as a church. The core of empowerment comes from the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus does here with his disciples, he breathes on his disciples and imparts the Holy Spirit. So he does with us. If we have received Jesus as Lord, we are a new creation. God's Spirit lives within us. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead brings us to life in a new way. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who has raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
that dwells in you. God gives the Holy Spirit to us for the accomplishment of his mission, to empower his people to represent him well here on earth. As we seek to engage in mission, it's the Holy Spirit that transforms hearts and lives. It's not us. And so as we engage in mission, we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to do that work. There's an interesting phrase here in John 20, verse 22. It says this, Jesus breathed on them. He breathed on. This, this phrase could also be translated breathed into. And this exact wording shows up in the Old Testament a couple of times. One of the times that it shows up is Ezekiel chapter 37, which is a very interesting chapter in the Bible. There's this valley of dead, dry bones, and all of a sudden there's rattling, and bones start joining together, and skin comes on them. It's quite a crazy sight, but there's still dead bodies until this. The Spirit of God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. They were dead, the Spirit of God was breathed into them, and they came to life, an exceedingly great army. God's Spirit brings things to life, from not alive to alive. Willingdon Church, we are an exceedingly great army because we have God's Spirit within us. Let's act like it. What does an army do? Well, first of all, we need to listen carefully to the directions to the commands of our commander-in-chief, the God of the universe. Each person in an army, and each person here is given a specific role to play and does it with discipline and increasing skill through training. As a whole, we push back the enemy and advance God's kingdom. Armies also exhibit singular focus in their mission that they have been given, and so should we. We have the Spirit of God within us, and so we are an exceedingly great army. I invited a friend to come today, Johan Matis. Come on up. Johan is, is one of our missionaries, one of our long-term missionaries. And I've asked him to come and just share a couple of stories from different parts of the world where the Holy Spirit has empowered people for mission. Johan provides leadership to everything that MB Mission does in Europe and Central Asia. I had a great time with Johan about a year ago, going really fast on the Autobahn in Germany. We won't say what that... Well, it was over 200 kilometers an hour. It was fast. It was wonderful. Johan, welcome here. (laughs) Thank you. See, in Germany, we have no wildlife. We are forced to create it. (laughs) Yeah, Willingdon Church, thank you. What a privilege it is to partner with you in mission to be on, live in, on mission with you together. You're sending teams. You have had people come to encourage us. You pray, you give, and you help us to believe against the statistics that we see about faith in Europe. Today I've brought you two stories, one from Asia and one from Europe. Together with you, I'm astonished that God chooses 
to accomplish his mission through us. That he values us to a point where he calls us his ambassadors. His authorized representatives. One such man is my Laotian friend and co-worker. I will call him here Kapono. Looked up a Laotian name that means the righteous one. Kapono keeps going back into his communist homeland to reach out to his people. One day he was caught evangelizing without a permission in an illegal event. He was arrested and put into jail. It looked like his mission ended. He did not know that God had a different assignment for him. He ended up being in the cell of the strongman of that jail the head of the criminal hierarchy in a prison. The Holy Spirit led my brother to fast and pray, but at the same time to buy rice and provide for all the other captives. Somewhere in the, on the third day of his captivity, the strongman said, You are different. I observe you praying. What spirit is in you? In, Jesus, in this jail, everyone fears me because I control everything here by a spirit that visits me. I can even kill people. But since you have entered my cell, my spirit has not visited me anymore. So what is it that is in you? That is a stronger spirit. And so, Brother Capono had the opportunity to share about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit that not only visits us, but dwells in us. The Lord of Lords, God Almighty. And of course, the strong man wanted to receive the strongest spirit there is too. So he received Jesus, our brother, left the jail shortly later and keeps going back to his country, reaching out to the peoples of Laos and the neighboring states. Last month, I was once again visiting the country of Lithuania. That is a small European country in the Baltics. This country is the number one in the world in some grim areas. Suicide rates, alcohol consumption, and immigration in peacetimes. Lithuania is losing 2% of its population annually. Just think what it might look like for a country like Canada or any other country that you're aware of. And so at times it looks like it is a hopeless culture and a hopeless place. As MB Mission, we have entered Lithuania right after the fall of communism when it became an independent country from the Soviet Union. Sadly, there are no breakthroughs yet in church planting and mission. The number of evangelical believers is remaining marginal. So more Recently, God has led us to 
revisit our vision, our mission in the country and look into the spiritual foundations of Lithuania. We learned, among other things, that the capital of Lithuania, Vilnius, once was called the Northern Jerusalem, Jerusalem of the North. Until World War II, Lithuania was the center of Jewish life on earth. In the smaller city of Sheolei, where we have our largest church, more than half the population was Jewish. Today, the count of Jews in that city is 300 people. Almost 200,000 Jews had disappeared. And you know what happened? They were murdered in the time of German occupation. I invite you today to join us in praying for Lithuania. It was the last country in Europe to be called Christian. It is definitely a land that needs healing. How do we know? In Second Chronicles 7, verse 14, we read, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble them themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This is where we know it from. Lands need healing, just as individuals do. In the very next verse, God says that unless there is repentance, this is what he literally says, his eyes do not see the people praying and his ears do not hear the prayers offered in this place. So the question is, will God forget the blood guilt of the Holocaust in Lithuania if there is no repentance? Will he stop hearing the voices of the innocent who lost their lives? He certainly will not. Will time heal the land? It never does. The Bible says we, this community, we are given the ministry of reconciliation. And so we begin by accepting our part of guilt. Repent for ourselves and repent on behalf of our people. We have many wonderful examples for that in the Bible. And we, as the German people, have reasons to repent. But, but then, as ambassadors of Christ, we call others to repent as well. We have done so in Lithuania last month. With our friend, friends from the Lithuanian Free Churches, we offered prayers of repentance. We shared on radio and in the churches, went to the historical places of atrocities, the former Jewish ghettos, places of loss and suffering. We approached local Jewish community leaders. And we remembered things that are not commemorated in any visible way. That in the mentioned city of Sheolei, there was a Jewish ghetto where the adults were forced to produce boots for the German army. But one day in the November of 1943, 574 children, all of them, 
were kidnapped and taken to a death camp, and the adults were forced to continue to work in that factory. We seek forgiveness. We, we seek a new chapter, a new beginning. We take steps of humbling ourselves before God, leading the way as a community of reconciliation. These steps are needed just as bad in other communities, in other countries, like in Turkey, a country in which repenting about the genocide against Christian Armenians is still prohibited by law, despite the fact that one and a half million Armenians had lost their lives back then. Our mission team members in Istanbul are among the leaders in the nation taking on this path of repentance and reconciliation. And of course, we see signs of hope in both countries. In the city of Kaunas, another city in Lithuania, I had, was privileged of sharing the gospel six weeks ago, and a Muslim woman gave her life to Jesus. A couple hours later, she found me on Facebook and wrote, please add me to your new Christian friends list. I want this list to grow in my life and in your life. May we all become the ministers of reconciliation, people God can use in his causes in our generation. Let's, let's take a minute to pray for Johan. I thank you, Lord, for Johan, for his wife, Haiti, for the, the ministry that you've called them to. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've used them in mighty ways. And I pray that you would continue to do that. Would your empowerment work mightily through Johan in the various countries where he has points of impact? And I do want to take a moment to pray for the nation of Lithuania right now and ask that you would do miraculous healing work in that nation in these days. May your kingdom come in that nation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, Johan. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. So the main points that I've pulled out are these. Jesus is alive. Jesus offers us true peace. God chooses to accomplish his mission by using us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us for God's mission. Well, this all sounds really good to me. Maybe it does to you. But there is a problem. And we see it actually in this text. And that problem is fear, right? The disciples are locked in a room because they're afraid. Well, just like the disciples are locked in a room because of fear, that happens in our lives too, doesn't it? It does for me. There are times in my life when I've said no to God's call because I've been afraid. And I'm sure you've experienced that too. Here's a question you'll talk about in your small groups this week. If you're, if you're going through the small group book, it says this. The disciples are crippled by fear in the beginning of this passage. What are some fears that have kept you from fully engaging in the ministry God has set out for you? Are there some fears that show up consistently? I think this is an important question for us to consider. Well, we're God's representatives, God's ambassadors, God's agents of reconciliation, soldiers in God's army. What does that mean? What are, what are some practical things you can take away today? There are literally thousands of ways that you could respond and engage in God's mission. I'm going to take the time to 
give you three potential points of engagement. The first is this. It's, a, it's an opportunity to pray. And I'd like to invite you to join me in a practice that I've been doing for a while. Uh, one of the foundational pieces of mission is this. The Lord needs to send out workers. And there's a verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, that says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so I'd like to invite you to join me in doing this if you're, if you're interested. Every day at 10.02, I've set an alarm, 10.02 a.m., I've set an alarm on my phone. And when it rings, I stop what I'm doing if I can. And I spend a minute praying related to this verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. I pray that the Lord will raise up workers. I pray that specifically he will place senses of call in each of our lives here in the Willingdon Church family. And then I pray that he will give us the faith and the boldness to be obedient to those calls. So I'd love it if you'd join me in praying at 10.02 a.m. each day. Simply set your phone. You can't always, of course. You might be doing something where you just simply can't stop. But many times you probably will be able to. And simply pray briefly that the Lord will raise up workers for the harvest. So that's one invitation. Another invitation is a giving invitation. You may have seen on the, on the screen coming in that we're taking a special offering today for the ministry of Sandy Ewan in South Sudan. And so the ushers will be at the back ready to collect an offering if you're interested in giving. Sandy Ewan lives in South Sudan, a super hard place to live. There's civil war, there's famine, there's many internally displaced people, there's huge inflation. Many of the people that she serves have been forced out of their homes and their homes have been burned. And Sandy's home, in fact, has been looted over these past months. And so there's an opportunity to give and funds will be given to four different things. One will be to help to reestablish the households of some of the missionaries. Uh, Sandy Ewan would be one of them. Another is to buy seed for the local church to distribute. Since there's famine, there's need for seed in order to start producing crops. Another thing that this offering will go towards is uh, to buy audio Bibles. People have expressed a deep desire to hear the Word of God. Not just hear people talk about the Word of God, but actually hear the Word of God. And so there are audio Bibles available, and we'd love to participate in, in purchasing those. So if you're interested, simply give at the door as we leave. I'm going to leave you with one final giving challenge. You saw in the video announcements that next week we're doing a food bank drive. We decided that we would love to stand with our community here in Greater Vancouver. And the food bank is doing an awesome work in, uh, in providing basic supplies, basic needs for many people here in this community. So I'd love to encourage you. We've, we're going to bring a one-ton truck. We'd love to collect a literal ton of food or more. Let's overflow it. My family went to Costco yesterday and we bought 12 delicious cans of stag chili and 16, 18 cans of tuna. So that's going to be our contribution and we'd, we'd invite you to join us. So those are some tangible points of engagement. As you're going through life, whatever it is that you do, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you work in a mill, if you're retired, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. The Holy Spirit has brought you to life in a new way, and the Holy Spirit empowers you for mission. May the Lord work mightily through you in these days. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you so much that you are alive. What an incredible truth that is. And thank you also for the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us for mission.
Would you give each one of us the next step, the next sense of call, and then would you give us the faith and obedience to follow that lead? And now from the book of Jude, this doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for coming.